My name's Courtney. If you don't know who I am, I sometimes get the privilege to get up here and, and share. And so here we are today. I get to share uh, again out of that With Us Advent series. Uh, we've, this is the third week in it, and we're, we're celebrating the stories of Jesus' coming as we prepare for the holiday and the season of, of Christmas. So uh, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 12. Go ahead, you can uh, follow along with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ is to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So I started taking this class at Metro, and uh, it's a plumbing class. Um, I, I, I'm choosing to take it, so okay, but... Um, this past week, we were watching these videos, okay? So put yourself there. It's an introduction to plumbing class, and I'm watching how-to videos. Put yourself there. And the dude that is doing the videos is the, uh, an instructor there, and we watched several videos of the exact same man, okay? And not to mock him, but just to show you a little bit of what that was like, um, he's standing very, <clears throat> and he had kind of a unique voice. And every single video started the same way. He's standing like this. Oh, well, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm an instructor here at the college. Today I'm going to be teaching you about blah, blah, blah. Before we begin, as always, it's safety first here at the college. So you can see I've got my long sleeves on, I'm wearing my safety goggles, and I'll be wearing these latex gloves for the project. <laughs> Two three-minute video, and then again, hello. My name is blah, blah, blah. I'm an instructor here at the college. Today I'm going to be teaching you about blah, blah, blah. Before we begin, as always, it's safety first here at the college. So as you can see, I'm wearing my long sleeves. I've got my safety goggles on. And I'll be wearing these leather gloves for the project. Two, three minute video. Hello, my name is blah, blah, blah. You can get the idea. We watched like five or six of these videos, and by the end, I'm like, can we please fast forward that part? I know it. I do not want to watch that again. Ah. 
I get why it's important, whatever. Um, how many of you have heard the story of the Magi before? Just raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you've heard it more than one time, more than when I just read it. Keep your hand up if you honestly don't know how many times you've heard it because you've heard it so many times. Okay. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I think we let stories like this in the Bible become like that guy. I've heard this. I don't need to reread this. I know it. Okay? And, and honestly, when Kevin told me this was the passage, I'm like, how do I? Everybody's heard this story. How do we talk about a story so many people have heard? And uh, I'm not downplaying the story of Jesus, but we hear it every year, and I think we're kind of like, well, I know that. Right? And, and so I want to challenge us before we dive in to not come at it like that. I think, honestly, I think Satan, you know, he, he doesn't want the story of Jesus to be told. And yet it's so wide known that he's like, okay, well, I can't stop them from telling the story of Jesus, but let me at least make it seem mundane to them. Let me at least make it seem dead or boring or something they already know. I don't need to learn from that because I already know it. And so as we dive in here, um, I'm going to pray that this passage will come alive to us, that in our moments together looking at this passage, uh, we could hear from the Lord in a fresh way, that this passage that seems so familiar uh, could challenge us in ways we never even knew because the word of God is alive and active. It is his living word. And so as we dive in today, God is going to touch each of our hearts and he's going to do something that causes us to look back and say, wow, God, thank you for your living and active word. So let me pray. Lord God, you are Lord and you are God. May you be so in me right now. May you challenge us with your word today. May you take this passage in Matthew chapter 2 and awaken inside of us what you would teach us today. God, you are higher and greater than we are. Your understanding is way beyond mine, so would you speak and not me? Meet us here in these moments. Prepare our hearts to hear from you. And in all these things, we worship the name of Jesus. And it is on his merits that we pray. Amen. As we look at the passage today, I'm going to focus on uh, some of the key players in the story. Um, and first, let me set the scene by saying, okay, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the first four words, after Jesus was born. So he was born, and now we're hearing and we're seeing a picture of how people responded to Jesus. How did they respond to his coming? And we're going to look at the Magi, King Herod, and the chief priests specifically in that. And I'm going to kind of discuss for us some pitfalls in our responses to Jesus, some challenges or, or wrong things that we can do in our response to the king, some sinful ways to react to Jesus' coming. And then we're going to look at where to go from there. So let me, let me just dive into the passage. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. This first one. This word magi, we've heard it before, sounds like our English words magic, magician. Interestingly enough, the Greek word used is magos, 
which the other place it's used in the Bible, it's translated sorcerer. And I think the connotation to that maybe takes us too far. Uh, but these were, it also translated could be, right, wise men. You've heard that before. These were wise men. They were spiritual men from the east. Um, and they could have been somewhat mystical, right? They, they follow a star. And so uh, they were astrologers in some respects, right? And they, they have this legacy of being um, spiritual and wise. We don't really know uh, all that much about them. We know they come from the east. I will tell you, and if you look at a, a map of Israel or if you've ever been there, when you're in Jerusalem, it's nice and green and, and things grow and it's lush. As you head east, even not that far, you hit the desert. Uh, it's rocky, it is dry, it is hot. I got to go to Israel this past summer, so I've been there. We hiked in the desert east of, of Jerusalem. Um, and if you keep going east, you actually hit the Arabian Desert. It's like this huge, if you look at a map, it's this huge patch of no settlements because that's all desert. Now there's probably more settlements now, but back then there weren't that many, right? Um, and so they, we know they were from the east. They could have been from the desert. They could have been from as far as Babylon. Uh, and they, they are traveling across the desert. Why? Because they see a star. And I had a, a pastor share about this passage, and he likened the star to the pillar of the fire and the pillar of the cloud that we hear about in the Old Testament, in that it was miraculous. There was something unique about it, something that was from God about it to these, uh, to these wise men, to these magi. And, and you know, when you... Um, when they travel the sands, they use the stars for navigation. And so it's, it's cool to see this star navigating them to Jesus. Verse 2, they come to Jerusalem and ask, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Let me ask you, if they're following a star to Jesus... Why do they have to stop and ask for directions? Have you ever asked yourself that? They do. They, why, they, why do they stop in Jerusalem? We get this idea um, that maybe the star disappears. Um, we, I, we, I take that too from verse 9 when they're on their way and uh, the star kind of reappears and leads them right over the place where Jesus was. And when they see the star again, they're overjoyed. So I, I kind of have this wonder if they're on their way, they see the star, they're headed to Judea, and that maybe the star disappears for a little bit, and they wonder what, do we make this up? Are we really following something? Is the king of the Jews really born? They decide to, in faith, keep going, and they go to Jerusalem, the hub of um, Israelite religion, and they begin asking, and truthfully, I think they begin asking like, hey, we're here, we want to worship with you. I think they expect Jerusalem to be celebrating the king. And they get there and they begin asking, hey, they don't ask, um, uh, did, did maybe he, was he possibly born? Nope, they, they want to know where he is. And they expect people to know. And so they begin asking this question, where is the one that has been born your king? We've come to worship him. And I think that... Uh, they were disappointed probably when 
no one really knew how to point them. No one was directing them. And I get that because in verse 3 it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. These wise men, these magi come and create a stir in the entire city. They're asking about this king, and it disturbs King Herod a lot. King Herod the Great, uh, that's what he was called, uh, was ruling at that time, and he was greedy for power. And uh, in fact, he even killed some of his sons and wives to protect his throne. So when he hears about another king, he's greatly disturbed. And, and, and the stir in Jerusalem, uh, I don't know if it was because of the questioning that was happening or if because of the size of the party of the wise men. Um, we often think of there being three wise men, but that's actually not, that's not mentioned here how many there were. It's mentioned how many gifts there were given, we don't exactly know how many of them there were. It could have been that there were more. King Herod the Great was greatly disturbed. And so what does he do? He calls the chief priests. The chief priests of the temple in the religious hub of Israel and the teachers of the law, not just people that kind of know the law, the teachers of the law. And he calls them and he asks, where's the Christ to be born? Notice he doesn't say, where's the king of the Jews to be born? Because he's not going to call someone else a king. Where's the Christ to be born? And, and the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they know immediately. They don't have to like go look it up. They don't have to confer with each other. There's no disagreement. They know he's to be born in Bethlehem. And in fact, they even quote the direct prophecy right away on the spot. Oh, yeah, Bethlehem in Judea, because here's what it says in the Bible. They all know right away. Okay? This is interesting. And this brings us to our first point. Because these people are chief priests, teachers of God's law. They quote the prophecy directly because they've been awaiting the Messiah. They, if anyone, is, are ready. Or so they thought. Think about it. They don't go to Bethlehem and look for Jesus. The wise men come, create a stir in the whole city, and they say, the king of the Jews has been born. We just want to go worship him. And these chief priests, these teachers of the law, are six miles from Bethlehem. Now, obviously, it takes them a little longer than it would take us to travel six miles, but they are not far from Bethlehem. The wise men have traveled across the entire desert, and these chief priests, these teachers of the law, are six miles from Bethlehem, and they can't be bothered to even go check and see if that's the king of the Jews. Is it possible he's been born? If they've been waiting so long, wouldn't they at least go look? I would think so. Um, and then so I started asking, why? Why wouldn't they go? They've, been, they've heard about it, even if they're not sure they should believe these wise men, because probably the Gentiles weren't going to be... And that's, when I, that's why I started to think, man, you know what? They probably didn't want to believe the Gentile wise men, because they are Jewish religious leaders, and they were superior, they thought, to the Gentiles. And I think they were contented in that superiority, in their arrogance. I bet you they were kind of like, you know what? No. You're not going to tell me when my king is born. No, if God's going to send the Messiah, he's sending him to me. 
and I'm going to be the one that announces to the world that the king has come. I'm not going to listen to uh, these Gentiles. I, I think they were too caught up in their own superiority, in their own religious power, um, their arrogance. They assumed that they were right and the wise men were wrong. And this leads us to what I think is the first pitfall or the first thing that we can get tripped up on when it comes to approaching and responding to the king. Because we act like that sometimes. Think about it. If you just even think about the last few weeks during the Christmas season, as we've been preparing for this, this moment when we celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus, we're also preparing, right, for the holiday and the traditions and the, all the things. Um, and have it, is it possible that some of us, have you, have I, let religion at all get in the way? Let pr the practice of Christianity, the tradition of the holiday, at all get in the way of your heart pursuing the king? Have we at all put something else between us and meeting the king? I know I have, and even in small little ways. I was setting up my nativity scene in my little apartment, um, decorating with my mom, and uh, we're putting up lights and you know bulbs here and there and these cool little decorative things. And, and I'm setting up my nativity scene, and I'm like, Mom, I'm going to be a little more biblical this year. Uh, so my, my scene is, is out um, on my, my counter uh, my, toward my kitchen, and I'm like, I'm not going to put the wise men there by the manger because they weren't there at the time of Jesus' birth. Um, they came later. We don't know exactly how much longer later, but we know they came later. So uh, I, my, my wise men are like actually sort of traveling across my table. Um, <laughs> it's really great. Um, I've got a camel and a cow and some wise men kind of in a line headed towards Jesus. And I joked about being extra biblical in my setting up of the nativity scene. And I said that to my mom, and I said that to my dad, and I think I even told a couple other people, like, oh, yeah, my nativity scene is biblical this year. Um, more biblical. Um, and what's funny is I'm in this tradition of setting up this religious thing, right, for the holiday. And I'm talking about how biblical I'm being, and yet, in the entire process, I didn't once stop and say, Lord Jesus, as I set this up, thank you for what it represents. Thank you for the moment in history that I am honoring by putting this up. Thank you for coming and all that you did. I didn't once stop in that moment and pray that. It didn't draw my heart into those moments of worship. And so I, I've lived in this, even in that little way. It feels little, right? Um... But C.S. Lewis said the safest road to hell is the gradual one, right? Sometimes we don't notice the little things that move us away from worship. And for me, that's an example. There are probably more. So I want to challenge us with that first one. Are we letting religion or tradition or um, our own stuff get between us and true worship of the king? Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me 
so that I too may go and worship. Okay, so here's King Herod. He calls the Magi in. Now think about this, all right? That's kind of unique also. It'd be like me going to London for the first time and Kate Middleton's like, hey, come, come hang out with me. Come on, right? That's not going to happen. Um, not everybody got an audience with King Herod. But they did. They get called in because they've caused such a stir. Um, and he calls them, and um, I can imagine them walking into Herod's palace. Okay? Herod was not like a, a simple man. He had an immaculate palace. And, and I can imagine them walking into these beautiful corridors, you know, pillars, and, and they're walking in. They're led by guards right down this long hallway, and then they go up over here, and then they're over here, you know, and they're navigating their way through his just immaculate palace. And then they get brought into his throne room where Herod is, and maybe he has a huge, I'm kind of making inferences here, but maybe he has this huge table, right, full of food, and he's dressed like a king, and he comes and talks to them. Think about what that's like. And, and he says, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about this. And why does he want to do that? He secretly calls them because he wants to know how many babies he's going to kill later on in Bethlehem. He wants to know how old the baby was so he knows how many kids that he needs to take care of. He's, he's sinning, he's, but he's being manipulative. He's lying to them. He's trying to trick them, right? And he says, tell, come back and tell me so that I too may go and worship. And this is our second um, warning sign. This is our second sinful response here because uh, he does something that he, he has something in common here with the chief priests. He's trying to hide his sin behind a mask of piety. He really wants to kill this threat to his throne, right? This little baby, he wants to know more about it, not so he can go worship, but because he wants to sin. He wants to protect himself. And, and I, I, you know, not that, that our pitfall is going to be about killing little babies, but there is a sense in which we can mask things inside of us with piety or with religion or with uh, the facade of worship. So I want to challenge us in that. Do we have that going on? We're standing, uh, you know, you stand up you, for music, right? Maybe we even sing along, but what's my heart doing? And sometimes my heart doesn't feel like worshiping, right? What's in your heart when you sing? Are you singing the words, right? Are you ascribing honor and worth to the Lord as you sing? Do you mean it in your heart, the words that you sing? Or are we like Herod sometimes in this passage where we mask what's really going on inside of us with a show of piety and worship? This is challenging for me because I do that sometimes. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to just do the religious things and not have my heart stirred in the moment either. Right? So I want to challenge you to process through those questions. Is there ever a time were it all possible that as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, that we're putting on a front because there's something else going on inside. Let me finish the story here. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This is kind of like confirmation to them that... 
they were on the right path. God's like, yeah, yeah, here's the star. Let me take you the rest of the way. Right to where the child was. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. We didn't see them bow down and worship King Herod. They bowed down and they worshipped the child. Then they opened their treasures to him and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Think about these men. They come across the desert looking for a king. Long, arduous journey, and they get to Jerusalem, the religious hub, and no one else is stirred up about this king. It'd be tempting to be like, are we making this all up? No one else is celebrating the king? Not even these chief priests and the teachers of the law? I'd, I feel like that'd be a temptation for me. Then they get summoned into the palace of King Herod. And if you think about an earthly king circumstance, that's it. That's impressive. The palace that they walk into, the king in his robes that they see. Yet the most amazing thing about these wise men, these mystics, wherever they were from in the east, is they leave the palace and they keep pursuing Bethlehem, this tiny village that's just a little bit south of Jerusalem. They're on this small road. Imagine what they would have thought and felt leaving Herod's palace and heading to this little house in a small little village. What would they have thought? The only one they were, they were ushered in by King Herod's guards, and there were probably people all over. And then the only one with the baby King Jesus was his mother. No one else was there. No entourage, no guards, right? Just a small, poor little house. And this lines up with scripture. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus' coming, and it says they he was despised and rejected. We esteemed him not. John chapter 1 talks about that, his he came to his own, yet his own did not receive him. I think that, truthfully, the coolest thing about these wise men is that they see through the earthly circumstances. They see through the contrast between the two kings. Because if I'm looking at it from an earthly perspective, right, poor baby in a small little village all by himself with his mother, versus palace, kingly robes, Guards, I'm thinking, which one's the king? Hmm. Right? Which king do I honor? Which king do I worship? And the same question is posed to us each and every day. Am I going to worship the things that rule this world in the earthly circumstances? Or am I going to see that there is a ruler, a supreme, sovereign God over all the things that seem to rule this world? And that one day... He will put it all aside, and he will conquer and reign. And Revelation talks about there will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. The former things have passed away. Right? He will wipe away the tears from your eyes, and death shall be no more. These wise men could see eternity. They could see a heavenly king, even though he looked like a little baby. The third pitfall is letting earthly circumstances distract us from the heavenly king. And the wise men didn't give in to that, that pitfall. 
No, they could see differently. And I, I wish, man, I wish I was like that. I struggle with this one. My earthly circumstances are not my favorite right now. I'm 31 years old, and I have nothing figured out. Um, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago if I'd have thought, yeah, I want to be married, I want to have a family, sure, I probably would have said yeah. But that's not my story. God hasn't given me that. That's okay. But it's hard sometimes when we see beautiful little babies get born. And... Um, and instead of being provided for, I have to go and work. <laughs> it has its joys and it has its pitfalls. Um, and, and truthfully, though, I, I've loved my job. Um, I get to coach volleyball. Um, I run an athletic department. Um, at a school that I attended as a student 12 years ago, I went to Grace University as a student. God shaped me, um, grew me in so many ways, and he's given me the opportunity to go back there and work. And over the last five years, it's been my job to invest in and build into this volleyball program and into this department that meant so much to me as a student. And that's incredibly special. Um, but it has been incredibly challenging as well. Um, in the last five years, uh, you know, my first two years, actually, um, uh, because of my job, I was forced to have a superior and a, a relationship that was oppressive and abusive to me. Um, I was controlled and manipulated by fear. I was actually brainwashed um, by someone that had a, a facade of piety. Boy, could he pray. He could quote scripture. And I thought this was a, uh, a godly, fatherly figure that was mentoring me spiritually. But I was wrong. And instead, that man was um, trying to manipulate and control me, would, uh, would cross harassment boundaries. And there was nothing I could do, but I knew. When I, got, when I got that job, I knew that God had called me to be there. And I knew that the timing was right. And I loved it. It was my, my dream job. And so as I'm going through all of this, I remember thinking, God, you've brought me here on purpose. You're allowing me to walk through this, and you know what you're doing. And I trust him. And instead of quitting, I endured. And then the time came when God called me to step up courageously and stand up against that, and I did it. And then I got to walk through overcoming the things inside of me. I don't know if any of you have ever been brainwashed or abused, um, but it was like waking up from a spell. One day, suddenly, I realized I had been in this for two years, and, and I didn't know who I was anymore. This man had, in, had infused his lies into me for two years, and he would summon me and talk for five hours. He would come into my office and shut the door and sit between me and, and the door, and there was nothing I could do. Or so I thought. And it took me a long time to overcome the turmoil that happens when you don't know who you are anymore. I have passages of scripture that are triggers <laughs> because he quoted them to me. 
But I got to watch God work me through that. And he's used that and he's redeeming that. And I've gotten to tell some of those stories to kids who've also experienced abuse. Players on my team. And God has used it and I trusted him through it. I also got to trust him through it in my singleness. Because there are days when that is hard. And yet, I've, I've seen purpose in it for my job because I'm a volleyball coach. And, and I, had, I can be more available to the kids in a, in a mentoring and discipling way because I'm not investing in my own family. And I've praised God for that opportunity. I have. And now, uh, I find out Grace University is closing. I'm going to lose my job. And it's just mo- months away. And God is shaking me and ask, and I'm like looking at it like, God, why did I go through all that? What was the purpose of me killing myself in this job, investing so hard and so much? I gave, I gave so much into that job, and I believe that there was an eternal purpose. And now I look around, and I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know the purpose in singleness. I don't know the purpose in the abuse. I don't know those things. But I'll tell you what. That's because my eyes are so fixed on the circumstances. I don't have to look at that. It can be tempting. As it stirs you right now to hear a hard story, it's tempting, isn't it? To get drawn into the struggle. And yet, there's a better way. Right? Mallory talked last week about focusing on the less than ideal. That's been my life for the last five years has felt less than ideal. And yet, I don't have to fix my eyes on that. I can look to the king of the ultimate kingdom. I can see that there is hope in my brokenness. I can go back to that passage in Revelation that says, neither shall there be any more mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things will pass away because of what Jesus did. Because he came, because of the hope that he brought on that day, the hope that Jesus brought when he came launches us to the hope of an eternal hope, an eternal future, right? Where all of the broken things in this world, the circumstances that don't seem quite right, pass away. So as we close, I want to challenge you to think about which of these is hardest for you today. Which of these three pitfalls? Are you like the chief priests? Are you too caught up in religion and tradition and yourself to notice that the king is right under your nose? Are you, like Herod, too blinded by your own temptations of power, wanting to have your own way? the prestige, the image of the life that you've built to to value the king? Are you like me, caught up in all the circumstances of the world that feel less than ideal to you? Or that feel amazing to you? Man, I love this world. I don't want to go to heaven. I love it here. Maybe that's you. Whichever thing you're struggling with, whatever you're stuck in, or maybe all three, You can come to Jesus today. I'm going to invite the band to head back up here. I I just want to challenge us to come to Jesus today. We don't have to, but we can. Like the wise men, we can leave the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem 
and travel down the small road to Bethlehem. You can leave behind the power and the image of the palace and go see this tiny little baby only attended to by his mother. I can leave the religion and tradition of the Immaculate Israel Temple and I can humbly go bow down before a baby in a house in a small village. Uh, these wise men, they did not have to come to Jesus. Right? They travel all this way. They don't have to. But because they came, do you know they even got to be part of a cool piece in history? They got to be used by God to help deliver Jesus. Because of the rest of chapter 2, Herod comes to kill the little babies, but God warns Joseph in a dream and they go to Egypt. How do they get the money for that? Well, they just got given gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They have now what they need to go uh, travel away to be protected. These wise men chose to see with eternal eyes. They chose to follow God in faith, and they got to be used to protect the Savior of the world. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us in this Christmas season posture ourselves and posture our hearts before the king of the ultimate kingdom, before the ruler that has promised to do away with all of these earthly broken things. King Jesus, being my king, be my king in my circumstances. Overcome in me the religion, the tradition, the desire that I have for image, for power, for, for greed. Overcome in me the temptation to complain about my earthly circumstances or to fixate on them and to worry and help me, Lord, to fix my eyes on you, the king that brings hope into this lost and broken world. Hope to me and my circumstances today. You have come that I may have life and have it to the fullest. May I experience your full life today.